Happy New Year to all of you. Um, I have to admit that I'm not really like a New Year's person. Uh, I think I think the whole thing's kind of like arbitrary, you know. I mean, the sun has the Earth has gone around the sun like one time. Last week it was an old year. This week it's a new year. It it seems kind of arbitrary, and I've never been super big into setting New Year's resolutions because uh, I mean we all know how quickly they fade. Right, today is January sixth, and I bet a bunch of us have already uh, neglected some of our resolutions. Uh, but at the same time, I have set some New Year's resolutions this year, and even though it seems arbitrary, this New Year's thing, um, it's still a good time for us to take a moment and reflect on what things have been like for the past year and what they hopefully will be like in the coming year. That's what I want us to do this morning for a moment. I want us to reflect on what this past year has been like. And I don't want you to reflect on uh, how much weight you lost or how swole you got or uh, how much money you made or how you spent your time. I want to ask us a different question about this past year. I want us to think about Who has God been this past year? In your life over this past year, who was God to you? What did you conceive God to be like over this past year? Maybe you had a really great year, and it was a year where God's love was just really evident and you were feeling God's kindness and compassion and you could see God working and mending what has been broken in your life. Maybe it was a a rough year and God seemed absent. God seemed distant. God seemed like he wasn't doing anything. Or maybe God was even... Maybe it even seemed like God was working against you. Or maybe it was a year where you just didn't think about God that much. So I'm actually, I'm going to give us 30 seconds of silence, and I want you to just think about who was God for me last year. This question is not a trivial question. Who God is in your mind is incredibly important. One of my favorite books is called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. If you haven't read it, you really should. Highly recommend it. But in that book, he says... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
the most important thing about you is not where you come from, it's not your family, it's not your career, it's what comes into your mind when you think about God. Tozer continues and he says, For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most important fact about any person is not what he or she at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. The most important thing about you, aren't it's not your words or your actions, but in the depths of your being, who do you believe God is? Tozer says, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. Everything we believe that is wrong, everything we do that is wrong, ultimately comes from thoughts and beliefs about God that are wrong. So what I want to do this morning is for us to take a moment to try to correct and to try to elevate our thoughts about who God is. We're going to do this by looking at my favorite chapter in the Bible, Job chapter 38. Uh, A little bit of context. What's going on in the book of Job? I hope you're all familiar with this story. If you're not familiar with the story, well, I'll give you some context, and also you should read it. Um, so uh, the book of Job, in chapters 1 and 2, we, we hear this, this story about this dude named Job who was, uh, the first thing we learn about Job is that he was incredibly rich, right? This dude was super loaded. He, um, the, first cu- the first couple verses of the book of Job talk about all of his um, possessions, all of his lands, all of the animals he owns, thousands of of sheep and goats and cattle and camels. Um, It's like this long description of this dude who's just filthy wealthy. And he has a huge family. He has um, 10 kids, seven boys, three girls, this great sort of perfect family in that time. And Not only is he wealthy with this dope family, right, but he's also righteous. He's someone who fears God. He's someone who does what is good. He's influential in his community, but influential in a way that promotes goodness and justice. Uh, The the story talks about how his kids will, like, go and have a party, and then the next morning, Job will make a sacrifice a sacrifice just in case his kids sinned, right? So he's this dude who's just wealthy and has this great family, influential, righteous. And then we read in the first two chapters, what happens is Satan, uh, with God's leave, ends up taking all of it from Job. It, It happens like within the span of 60 seconds that different messengers come to Job and each one says, hey, this disaster happened and you lost all of this. And 
you lost all your cattle. And this disaster happened, and you lost all of your camels. And this happened, and you lost all of your barns. And then finally, another messenger comes and says, this building collapsed, and all of your children are dead. And then after that, he gets this terrible sickness where there are these boils all over his body. So he's reduced to having nothing, having none of his children, being in the dirt with a piece of pottery, scraping the boils on his skin. It's really just incredible story. Imagine being in that position, just having everything and losing it in a minute. Then what happens in sort of the big chunk of the book of Job from chapters 3 through 37, Job has this conversation with a couple of his friends. And Job is asking all of the questions that we would expect Job to ask. You know, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I've been I've been good. I've been righteous. I've loved God. Why is this happening? For the most part, Job's friends all give him just terrible answers, and they're, in the end, they're rebuked for their answers. But they basically say, Job, you must have sinned. That's the only reason. And Job is saying, no, that's, that's not what's happening. Then you finally get to chapter 38 in Job, which is when God enters the story. And this is where God answers Job and where God answers the questions that he's been asking. And it's really just an incredible answer. Uh, I want for you to think about how would you expect someone to respond in that kind of a situation, right? For Job, who's lost everything and who believes he doesn't deserve it, Think about what kind of response you would give that person or what kind of response you would want God to give. My guess is it's not what we actually read. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Job chapter 38, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel? Can we not have it on the screen? Sorry, thank you. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth on its foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while all the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed 
limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come, and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth. Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed? Or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain or a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of the dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters becomes hard as stone and the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness or satisfy the hunger of the lions while they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides the food for the ravens? When it's young, cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. I love this chapter. Because every time I read it, I'm filled with this sense of awe and wonder at who God is. And I hope that that sense of just feeling amazed at God would characterize this year for us. 
So briefly, what I want to do is just uh, point out three things about who God is in this chapter. Um, First of all is what's probably the most obvious thing, and that is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. The, The bulk of this speech that God gives to Job um, is just God asking Job these questions that Job has no possibility of answering. God asks 40-something questions in this chapter, and this chapter is just chapter one of three chapters of this speech that God gives to Job. And these are questions that right, are not designed to be answered. Questions like, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Or have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Or uh, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Or have you journeyed to the recesses of the deep? I mean, these are questions that Job isn't supposed to answer. These are questions that are supposed to put Job in his rightful place in front of God Almighty. The questions are designed to tell Job that God is in control of everything that happens, from the biggest thing of putting the earth on its foundations to the smallest thing of feeding the young ravens. God is in control over all of it. And what God is saying to Job is, Job, even though everything in your life has gone wrong, I am still in control of all of this. And that's good news for us. Because it means that no matter what happened last year, no matter what will happen this year, God is the one who literally holds the universe together. And if he can hold the universe together, then surely he can hold your life together. No matter how big or how messy or how difficult your problems and your circumstances get, God is always bigger and God is always sovereign. So first of all, God is sovereign. Second, God is trustworthy. God is sovereign. Trustworthy. While most of this passage is about these really big ideas of God, you know, putting the earth on his foundations or commanding the sunrise or those sorts of things, we do get these other pictures of God working in the smaller things. Um, At the end of the chapter where it says, God provides food for the lion and food for the young raven. It's a picture of God who is both in control by the God who is also caring, a God who is also delicate, a God who is also compassionate. And then there's also the entire fact that God is just talking with Job at all, right? God is under no obligation to say anything to Job. God doesn't have to answer Job's questions. God doesn't have to respond at all, but God knows what Job is going through and comes to be with him and to speak with him. It's this amazing double picture of this God who is greater and mightier, more glorious and 
awe-inspiring than you could possibly describe, and at the same time, a God who comes to his people when they are hurting, a God who cares for the smallest details of creation. God is sovereign. God is trustworthy. And then lastly, God is enough. God is enough. In the middle section of the book of Job, chapters 3 through 37, where Job is having these conversations with his friends, Job asks a bunch of questions about why this is happening to him. And when God comes and gives this answer in Job chapter 38, um, God doesn't answer any of Job's questions, right? God doesn't say what we would expect God to say. We would expect God to say something like, Hey, Job, don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Hey, Job, I got this. Hey, Job, you know, there's a reason for all of this. It's all going to work out in the end. Job, if you can just wait till chapter 42, you're going to get a bunch of stuff back. You know, Job, everything happens for a reason. Right? That's not at all what God says. Because God isn't trying to answer Job's questions. God is trying to reorient Job's perspective. God is trying to change Job's paradigm so that Job will become less focused on himself and more focused on God. God comes to Job and answers Job's questions with himself. I think God does the same thing to us. God answers our questions with himself. And this is hard for us to remember, I think, because often when we, when we really want God, what we want is for God to fix our circumstances, or we want God to make our lives better, or we want God to help this relationship, or we want God to do something in this situation. And often when we really get down to it, we want God to do those things more than we want God himself. And this is why the question of what comes into your mind when you think about God is so important. Because if we have a just small glimpse of who God really is, And if our thoughts about God are properly exalted, then we will realize that the thing we need most is God himself. And we will realize that in whatever we are going through, God is enough. God answers Job's questions by saying, this is who I am and that is enough for you. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ. God is so much greater, more wonderful and beautiful than we could ever imagine. He is sovereign. 
the God who holds the universe together, who sets the planets in motion, who calls out the stars and commands the sunrise. He is sovereign. He is trustworthy. He is caring and compassionate. He is loving and gracious. He is delicate and and providing for every detail in creation. And if Job 38 is right, and if this is who God truly is, then brothers and sisters, he is enough for us. Then he is what we really need. I hope that this year that we as a church will be characterized by high and exalted thoughts about God. Let's pray. Oh, great and gracious God. You are so much more than we could ever describe, than we could ever think, than we could ever imagine. And we thank you and we praise you for being so incredible. God, we thank you that you are the one who is in control of everything that happens, that you are the king of kings and lord of lords, and at the same time, you are a God who comes to his people when they are hurting. At the same time, you are loving and kind. God, I pray for us as a community this year, for us as individuals, for us as families, and I pray that you will help us to be people who are characterized by high and exalted thoughts about you. I pray that our lives will be filled with wonder and with awe at who you are. And I pray that what comes into our minds when we think about you will be true. God, if we could get just a glimpse of who you are, that would change everything for us. God, show us yourself. Show us your glory. And may you teach us that you are enough for us. I pray this all in the glorious and sovereign name of Jesus.